You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Started terrible. Started with a with kidnapping. But over the years, God really showed himself to be faithful. As they gathered together, they pulled out their scrapbooks and they began to talk about what happened over the last 66 years. Daniel and his friends, now seniors, older men, no family, but they had each other. They began to look at the, the scrapbook of their lives and they began to say, remember that moment? Remember when we were kids and... And we stood up in the cafeteria. You remember that moment where we stood up and said, we're not eating this. And then we, we got stronger and better than everybody else just by eating what God said to eat. Those are, man, that's crazy. And then we might have paused for a minute. And like, I wonder what our moms look like when she, when she passed. I wonder what our, what our younger sisters look like. Did she ever get married or I wonder what happened to our brothers? And then as they were looking through, hey, I remember, hey, guys, guys, remember this one? Remember that one? Man, the music, man, it was, it was so loud. And everybody was supposed to get down on their knees and bow to that idol, to that, to that giant statue. Remember that? Man, that was awesome. Man, but the worst part was this. Remember, we, we were grabbed and we were, we were drug over to that giant furnace and we were thrown in that furnace and we thought it was the end. But we were willing to give our life but then God showed up. Man, that's, that was crazy. And then some of the guys are like, hey, Daniel, remember this one, man? The, the, the king, man, he had lost his mind. He was, he was killing everybody, man. He was just killing all of his officials and leaders. And you stood up. He said, no, stop killing people. I know what your dreams mean. Remember that, Daniel? It started off terrible. But then God showed himself faithful. But now at 84 years old, as he's looking through the scrapbook in his mind, he's wondering, is God going to do it again? Or am I too old for God to care? It's been 66 years since chapter 1. Daniel now, an old man. Since the chapter 1, they had been abducted, castrated, their names had been chased, changed and forced into a hostile environment and culture. Daniel had lived through seven kings and two empires. You know, as we saw last week, the end of one king, and, and he had had six before. Today, we're going to find a, yet a new king today. These are some of the kings that he dealt with, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the bulk of, uh, of Daniel. Uh, you might remember most of our stories were Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's relationship of 40 years. But then there was Amel Marduk, there was Neri Glissar, there was Laboro Sorchad, there was Nabonidus, and then his son, uh, the crown prince, Belshazzar, who was the main emphasis of the story in Daniel chapter 5. But at the end of Daniel chapter 5, the Midian and Persian Empire came in and with very little bloodshed took over the Babylonian Empire and a new king had been put in place and it was the great Cyrus of the Persian Empire. Babylon was over. A grand and new empire grew and was birthed. The Persian Empire. To this day, the Persians who are the descendants of uh, Iranians and the Babylonians who are uh, descendants or Iraq who are descendants of the Babylonians, today Iraq and Iran are still at odds over who belongs 
uh, to what land, you know, and, and who belongs to it. And it really, a lot of it goes right back to those days at the Babylon and the Persian empires. It's important to understand, though, as we were looking through the book of Daniel, is that the book of Daniel is just a scrapbook. It's just glimpses. You know, I'm looking at these scrapbooks. By the way, you, you, you can look at them after service today. They're pretty fun. This one here is actually our honeymoon um, in 1992 and some trips that we went on and our anniversary, our first year anniversary. And uh, we were just, we were dorky. And <laughs> my daughter looked at, took some pictures because our clothes are just so cool. Uh, you know, with the uh, boots and our socks over the boots rolled down and stuff. I mean, it, uh, and I've got some pictures of us as teenagers in here, and there's ones of our of our of our of my dormitory in college, and some of our college friends when we were at, at uh, Bible College, and and uh, this is you. I don't know if you can see this one, but this one's particularly fun. Look at these two. You might recognize two of the people over here. They're over there. And this is Nicole. I think Nicole's about 14 here, and she's probably uh, 17, 18 here. Um, this is why we were in Bible college. Um, I'll tell you, if you were to pick up these scrapbooks or these photo albums of, of our home or your home, and you were to try to piece together my story, it would be kind of random, wouldn't it? You're like, you, you would have these whole albums focused on one event, one weekend one anniversary or one wedding or, or one special event or just snapshots of, of our life. And, and so these snapshots don't tell the whole story. They just tell pieces of the story. And you need to realize that, that Daniel is pretty much a scrapbook for Daniel and his friends during a time of Babylonian captivity. And, and so it doesn't tell all of the story. In fact, we only get just a handful of stories in Daniel 1 through 6. Daniel 7 through 12 are visions that he had during the days of Daniel 1 through 6. And so Daniel, as a book, has a lot of details that are missing. And over the 70 years of history that it, that it forms, there's big gaps, and it's not always in order. And so we're going to start today in Daniel chapter 6. This is the last installment of the Thrive series. And it's been 66 years since chapter 1. It picks up just shortly after chapter 5 within the year, and it's probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible, and it begins with a new boss. Darius chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 begins with this, Darius the Mede. Now, I want to take just a moment to explain who Darius the Mede is, and you may not realize this, but Darius the Mede doesn't show up in history books, and a lot of people think that Daniel is just a fake book of, of analogy and inspirational stories and mythology. If you were to look it up on Wikipedia and look up Daniel or Belshazzar or any of the characters mentioned, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are mentioned in Daniel, and the history books collectively kind of say that Daniel never happened and that it's not real people because there are names in the book of Daniel that don't really show up in history. One of those examples was Daniel chapter 5 last week with the king Belshazzar, and they thought, man, this guy doesn't exist. He wasn't the king. It was Nabonius who was the king during that time. But in 1850, they found some, some ancient writings that basically say that Nabonidus gave his son, Belshazzar, reign of Babylon during his life. And all of a sudden, 2,000 years of the Bible being condemned was shown to be accurate and true. And so now we have in Daniel chapter 6 another character that doesn't show up in history. 
His name is Darius. Now, there is a Darius the Great that was the king of Persia, and he existed 15 plus years after Cyrus and after the death of Daniel. So a lot of people are like, man, they just kind of took this Darius guy, plopped in the middle of this story, and that it's all out of whack. It can't be trusted. The timeline's upside down. So who is this Darius? He did exist. Now, it's interesting it says Darius the Mede, and some people say, well, that's Cyrus. It was just a different name. That's not true because Cyrus was a Persian. So now we have a dilemma here. Cyrus and Daniel, uh, Cyrus and Darius are not the same person. Well, who were they? Well, Darius, it's, neat, it's important to understand, is a title. Darius actually means, if you were to translate it into English, means the one who holds the scepter. So some people feel that this is not Darius the Great, which is later on after the death of Cyrus, but this is actually a title given to a whole new guy. And if you look at the at the overthrow of Babylon, Cyrus actually put a guy, a governor, a regent in charge of Babylon, and his name was Gabaru. And many people believe that Darius is Gabaru. Now you say, why is this important, Ted? Because I want you to know that the Bible is real, the Bible is true, and that Daniel can be trusted. And just because someone's name in the Bible may not match with the name of ancient artifacts, you're going to find that in time, the Bible always proves itself to be reliable and trustworthy, as we found out last week with Belshazzar. So when we look at the story of Darius the king, he's more like Gabaru the governor or the local region of Babylon and the local surrounding area. We find that in history, Cyrus gave Gabaru reign over Babylon, and Babylon had the one who rules the scepter was Gabaru. So whenever you see the word Darius, it's probably Gabaru the governor. It's important to know that because Daniel's not a myth. It's real. So Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, it continues, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. So it's 120 governors, many governors. Okay? The king also chose Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. So new management. Belshazzar was overthrown and, and uh, killed in Daniel chapter 5. A new empire, the Babylonian empire is gone. A new empire, the Persian empire, is now the dominant force on the planet. New ma management, a hostile takeover of the company. Daniel, who is on the top of the authority levels of Babylon, is now demoted, but still in the high levels of the team. He's no longer the second in the Babylonian influence chain, but he is still in the top three and in the top 120 team. New management, Daniel's demoted but kept a high level. Daniel chapter three, uh, verse, chapter 6, verse 3 says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officials. How long? How soon is how long? I don't know. It could have been a month, could have been a year, but some time passed and Daniel proved himself to be extremely reliable. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king, or the regent, made plans to place him over the entire empire. So here's the deal. Daniel was favored even among lost people. Darius was not a follower of God. Darius was a man who worshipped pagans and other idols, but yet he loved Daniel. He respected Daniel. He had great rapport with Daniel. See, there's a difference between respect and and rapport. Respect is something you give regardless of whether you like that person or not. Authority of any kind must be given respect. A teacher, police officers, military, political figures, whether they deserve it or not, 
They are in a position of respect. However, rapport is a level of trust and honor. And that is something that is earned. And Daniel didn't just have respect, he had rapport. And he also had rapport with those that were over him. Darius, the governor, the regent, he had incredible respect for Daniel, began to see his work ethic and thought he was amazing. And despite the situation that Daniel was in in his life, over and over and over again, he thrived. He excelled. Now, these other administrators, they wanted the position that Daniel was being eyed for. Verse 4, then the other administrators and the high officials began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. They were jealous of his favor. They wanted that promotion, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. See, you need to realize Daniel didn't cook the books. Daniel didn't have rumors of sexual harassment that were going to surface. Daniel didn't have secret pictures taken that were going to show up on the internet. He didn't abuse his power. Daniel was incredibly honorable, even among those that didn't like him. It says he, Daniel, was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Even his enemies saw his great worth ethic and thought, man, he's a great guy. I don't like him because he wants the position. You know, the boss is looking to give him something that I want, but he's a great guy. How can we bring him down? I want you to realize some of this little footnote to the Daniel story. If you have a job and you want to excel, you want to succeed in your workplace, here's three things. Daniel's model that we saw all through Daniel 1 through 6 is this three things that always stood out to me about Daniel's work ethic, and it says it right here in verse 4. It says that Daniel, ingredients to success was he was faithful, he was always responsible, and he was completely trustworthy. That means Daniel showed up to work when he was supposed to show up. He didn't fudge his time clock. He didn't cheat the system He didn't sneak out with stuff. When he said he was going to show up, he showed up. He was responsible. He did the jobs he was called to do. See, Christians, we don't just show up to work. We show up to work and do our job well. See, that's what Daniel modeled for us. And he was completely trustworthy. His word was his bond. What he said you knew was golden. He didn't choose when to be trustworthy. He didn't choose when to be responsible. He said he was always responsible and completely trustworthy. Listen, Christian, you should be the highlight of your job. You should be the highlight of the people around you. You are the most responsible person in that room, right? You are the most trustworthy person in that team, right? You are the most faithful person in that position. Are you, are you right? You should, because that kind of person is someone who has an excellent spirit who God will honor and show great success with. The kind of person you love to be around. He had great rapport. Being a light at work is not just doing a job, but doing it well. Here's just a thought, by the way. Daniel was 84 years old now. He was, for all good purposes, an old man. I want to talk to the people who are old in this room, and you know who you are. I don't know who you are. So. I want, to, want you to know this. Being old does not give you a pass for living a godly life. 
You don't get to be a grump, be negative, be crotchety, (laughs) and just be, you know, someone who's hard to get along with just because you're old. As a follower of God, if you are a Christian, you never retire from living a godly life. You don't retire from God. And we see this in Daniel, 84 plus years old, still modeling and excelling in his responsibilities. Someone who people loved to be around. Seniors, model for us what godly living looks like. Will you? Excel like Daniel did. So here, verse 5, it says, So they concluded, these conspirators against Daniel, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. They knew Daniel was a committed follower of God, and they knew that the one thing that we can get him on, let's attack his faith. Now you're going to find, and I'm going to say this later on, is that Daniel understood something very clear. His enemies were not people. His enemies were not these conspirators. His enemy was not Darius. His enemies were not the culture and the people around him. His enemy was not Babylon. His enemy was not Persia. His enemy was not Cyrus. He knew who his enemy was, and it's not people. Let me tell you something. There are people who are going to attack you, but they are not your enemy, but they are using an ancient plan of the enemy, and that is to attack your faith. See, the enemy, the Bible says in John 10.10 that the enemy or the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. And what the enemy loves to do is exactly what happened here, is that many will come and try to destroy your faith. Let's attack his faith. It's a powerful tool of the enemy still today. He will attack your faith and cause you to doubt God's goodness, to doubt God's faith, to doubt that God is able and that he loves you, that he cares for you, and cause you to try to walk in fear or to compromise your walk with God. The enemy will try to attack your faith. So here's what the conspiracy was. In chapter uh, 5, verse 6, so the administrators and the high officials went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. And they weren't because Daniel wasn't there. It says, we administrators, officials, high officials, advisors, and governors, Daniel was not there. I want you to realize this. Daniel was not one of them, and he was never going to be one of them. I've got a challenge for some of you who are Christians in this room. If you are Christians, stop trying to be one of them. You'll never be one of them. Daniel did not serve the gods that they served, did not relish and live in a culture and participate in the culture in which they lived. As we saw in Daniel chapter 5, in the biggest party of the year, Daniel was not invited to that party. Stop trying to be one of them. You will never be one of them. He was different. He lived for God. They did not. But he said, we are in agreement. They conspired together against him. That the king should make a law that would be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den. Establish your power. Establish your rule. Let's set set a precedence that you are the boss. Let's do that. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this. We've already written it up. We've all voted on it. We are all in agreement, supposedly, except for Daniel. Sign it into law so it cannot be changed. And an official of the Medes and the Persians uh, that cannot be revoked. Now I want you to realize this, that Nebuchadnezzar changed his mind daily. Nebuchadnezzar was one of those guys that changed his mind as much as, well, never mind. He changed, <laughs> never mind. Uh, the service when I said changed his mind as much as he changed his underwear. And we're like, 
well, is that like once a week or like? <laughs> Hopefully it was every day because in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel changed, uh, Nebuchadnezzar changed his mind all the time. But in the Persian Empire, they had a new precedent. While Nebuchadnezzar could change laws at the whim, the Persian Empire ran in such a way that required a, an overturning of, of, a, of a series of amendments. And so when something was put into law, even the king, even the governor could not overturn it. So they were putting into place the principles of that society as a way to conspire against Daniel. Sign this, it can't be changed. So King Darius signed the law. They used Daniel's integrity and walked with God against him. They changed the law so that doing something right became something wrong. We see that in our world today. We're in many places praying, which is right, is wrong. Where praying could get you fined or kicked off of a school board or thrown in jail, standing up for God all over the world or even in parts of America where doing something that is right, believing in something that is right, standing up for something that is right because of law has been turned into something that is wrong. We see that in our culture today. There are those today that are still conspiring against followers of God. So that was the conspiracy, but check out the prayer of Daniel. Now, this prayer was, out, was an outlaw for 30 days. Basically, they said, here's the decree. No one can pray for 30 days except to Darius. That's it. Now, some of you might think, okay, I just won't pray for 30 days. For some of you, that's not a problem because maybe you haven't prayed in 30 days already. Some of you guys, you might, oh, my meal. Lord, thank you for my food. That's where our prayer begins. So for some of you, this may not seem like a, a challenge, and you might think, well, you know what, I'll just do it in my heart, I'll keep it to myself, I'll keep private. It seems like something that Daniel probably could have got away with that wouldn't have been such a big deal. But look what Daniel did. It said, don't pray for 30 days. Verse 10, but when Daniel learned the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. With his windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he always done, giving thanks to God. See, this was a case of what's known as civil disobedience. See, the Bible tells us that we are to obey the laws of the land. That means, to the best of our ability, we are to drive the speed limit. To the best of our ability. That means that we are to uh, obey the laws of the land. Whether you like them or not, we are to obey them. It doesn't matter whether you like them or agree with them. We are to obey them. However, the Bible says that whenever the laws of the land are in conflict with the laws of God, we are to obey the laws of God rather than the laws of man. And that's doing a civil disobedience where we in good conscience cannot uh, follow that rule or that law. And this was a case where Daniel said no to the law because the law of God says something different. Well, verse 11, then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking God for help. This was a sting operation. This was a setup. They knew he was a praying man. They were trying to catch him, and they did. Now, before we go on with the story, we talked about Daniel's work life. I want to take a second to talk about Daniel's prayer life. There are three things that stand out about his prayer life that I want to highlight. James 5.16, the half-brother of Jesus, says this. He says, the prayer of a righteous person 
is powerful and effective. And Daniel understood this. As someone whose walk with God is in a healthy place for us through the life of Jesus Christ, when we bow the knee to Jesus and we become righteous through his grace, through his forgiveness, the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Daniel understood this. And this is what Daniel knew. His first response was pray. See, a lot of times when trials come, when troubles come, when something happens, when we get the doctor report, when we hear about what's happening in the news, or, or when we get that bill, or when, we see, when tragic happens, when we get the phone call, or, you know, the first thing we just, all right, let me get my bearings together. What do we need to do to fix this? Let's try to do this, put our decks in order. Let's got to do this. We got to cut this out. Got to do this. We got to sell this, or we got to do this. We got to go here, you know. Oftentimes, like, God, I'll get to you after I get my stuff figured out. But see, Daniel didn't operate like that. And I love that. As soon as he heard that the law had been passed, he immediately went to his place of prayer. He immediately prayed. He knew who was in charge. He knew he was in control, who was in control. You see, prayer is our indicator of our dependency on God. If you want to know what your level of dependency on God is, What's the first thing you do when you hear tragic news? What's the first thing you do when you hear about something with your job or work, when you hear something about your health or your family? What's the first thing you do? Because prayer is an indicator of our dependency on God. And we see that Daniel depended on God. The second thing that stood out about his prayer life is this, is that it wasn't a crisis prayer life. It was a lifestyle of prayer life. You see, it says he went up to his room and he prayed as he always did. You see, a lot of us, we find prayer in crisis. I mean, that's when we pray. Oh, man, everything's falling. You know, by the way, if, if you're humble and broken, God will meet you in those crisis prayers too. But what stood out to Daniel, why he had such peace in the midst of this crisis, is because he had a lifestyle of prayer, not a crisis prayer. He wasn't going, oh, God, they're coming to get me. Oh, what am I going to do? It was like, God, you're so good. You're faithful. You've proven yourself good in my life. For the last 66 years of being here, and I know you're going to continue to do that. He had this sense of peace and confidence because he lived in a lifestyle of dependency on God. And this is the next thing, and I love this. He lived with his windows open. What's that mean? That means he was unashamed of that relationship with God that he had. He, you know, he flew the windows open. He didn't shut the windows and find himself in a closet in a corner and go, all right, I'm not supposed to pray. Hopefully they won't find me. He's like, you know what? I'm going to do what I always did. When the enemy comes to attack, when the enemy comes to accuse, when the enemy comes to tear me down and to take me down and to disrupt my life, when trials come, when certain circumstances come, when I feel like I'm being attacked and when I feel like I'm in the middle of a battle, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to trust God. Putting his possessions and his position on the line, he obeyed God. He lived with his windows open. Now those lions, those conspirators came to lie about him. And they went to Darius and they told him, like lions ready to attack and devour. Verse 13, then they told the king, that man Daniel, you know, the one of the captives from Judah. Now I want you to point out here that these guys were racist. They basically said, you know, Daniel, the Jew, the guy that doesn't look like us, the guy that doesn't talk like us, 
The guy whose skin color is different than us. The guy who, who, who doesn't, you know, worship the same gods that we worship, who doesn't act and doesn't go to the parties that we go to. You know Daniel, the guy who never quite fit in? Uh, yeah, I think I know that guy. I like Daniel. Well, you know that guy? He says he's ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. But hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel because Darius really liked Daniel. Darius was not a follower of God, but he loved Daniel. What a great rapport he had. You know, some of you, what a great opportunity you have to your boss and to those family that aren't Christians. Man, you can still have a great love relationship and they can love you as you model Christ for them. And as we found in chapter 5, it took 40 years for Nebuchadnezzar to finally recognize the God of Daniel. Well, here's another one of his uh, authorities, Darius, not a follower of God, but he loved Daniel nonetheless. He says he spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of the predicament. That night, the conspirators went to Darius and they said, you must enforce the law. You cannot change the law. You must enforce it. Verse 16, so at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the lion's den. See, the reality is this, the following God will often bring you enemies and following God will often have you thrown to the lions. A lot of times we think, well, God, if I just live for you, everything's going to be great. If I just live for you, nobody's going to hate me. Everybody's going to love me because I'm just going to be so loving. So who would hate someone who's loving? Well, people who despise your love and despise your influence and despise your success and despise that joy that you have and despise that some sense of peace that you have and they're confused by that God that you serve, you will find enemies when you serve God. And you might find yourself face to face with lions. Verse 16, the second half says, The king said to him, to Daniel, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. It was grandpa in the lion's den. It was an old man, 84 plus years old. What must it have been like to, to be arrested, to be grabbed, to be thrown in the middle of the night into this pit of hungry lions? How do we know we're hungry? Well, we're going to find out here in a minute that we're very hungry. What it might have been like. Much like the tomb of Jesus when it was sealed with the seal of, uh, of Pilate. So this seal was, had wax seals with, gold, uh, with emblems sealed of Darius and the other nobles. So that if anyone broke those seals, they knew that he was uh, rescued or got out and their head would be the price. This tomb was sealed shut. Verse 18, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused as usual uh, his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep that night. So he was sick over it. He couldn't eat. He didn't play video games. He didn't watch Netflix. No binging that night. He was so distressed. I want to tell you something. Throughout the history of the early church and throughout the history of Christianity, Christians have been abused and to this day are abused and tortured and put to death. In ancient times, Christians were often uh, taken and thrown to the lions for entertainment, and many of them gave their life standing up for God. And to this day, there are more people that have died in the last 30 years for Jesus than in the first 300 years of the early church. To the, today, there are still hundreds of thousands a year that are persecuted, tortured, and even put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. They stand up for Jesus, and they're thrown to the lions of people or to real death, and they don't live 
that this story is a little different. And that's why it's here. Verse 19, very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Notice Daniel's response. Daniel answered, long live the king. I probably would not have said that. If Daniel, if Darius said, Ted, are you alive? I'd have said, Come down and see. (laughs) But that's not what he did. It's because Daniel knew his enemy was not Darius. Daniel understood that people were not the enemy. Verse 22, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I've been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. He says, man, I obeyed God. I respectfully disagreed with that law. And I did not conspire against you. I did not talk negative about you. I did not protest on the steps of your house with banners that said, down with Darius, down with Darius. I did not plot against you. I did not post endless Facebook posts about how horrible you are. He says, I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted his God. And that's often where the story ends. When you watch the cartoons and Daniel and Darius go off, you know, skipping through the fields. And they're like best friends, high-fiving. Everybody's celebrating. It's a party. And they're like, it's happy ending. And usually that's where the children's illustrated Bibles come to an end. I bet they don't have a picture of this. Verse 24, then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had thrown them into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. Illustrate that in a children's Bible. I think I would buy that one. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Lovely. Daniel From there leads another great revival, his third revival in his 66 years, going on 70 years now. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race, nation, and language throughout the world or his kingdom. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. For he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And his rule will never end. And he rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And he rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, a lot of people are like, why in the world does God even allow us to go through stuff like that? Why does God allow me to get sick or have trial? Why does God allow my marriage to go through these seasons of bumpy times? Why does God allow that tragedy to happen in my family? Why did that uncle, that child, that friend, why did that person die? Why is our economy in such a bad shape? Why did I lose my job? God, why are you allowing these things to happen in my life? There's three reasons why a loving God who is sovereign, completely in control of all things, allows these things to happen. There are three reasons. Some reasons are born, or some of these trials are born out of what are known as uh, correction. 
They're born out of correction. An example of this might be someone like Jonah. Maybe you've heard of Jonah and the story of the big fish. It wasn't really a whale. We don't know what it was. But it was some big fish. God sent him on a mission. He said, God, I'm not going. And he jumped on a boat, went the opposite direction. They got in a storm. They threw Jonah over the edge of the boat. He was swallowed by a big fish. And he regurgitated him back up on the beach, heading in the direction he was supposed to go. Like, God, why did you allow that trial in his life? Why all that turmoil? Why did you put his life on the line? Why did you leave him stranded in the ocean? Why did you let him be swallowed by this, by this beast? God, why did you allow Jonah to go through this? Well, those trials were born out of correction. You also have trials that are born out of instruction. For instance, the disciples who loved God, who served God faithfully, every one of the 12 disciples except for one lost their faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, sorry, lost their life. They did not lose their faith. They lost their life in the name of Jesus. They were all tortured or put to death. Many of them had their heads cut off. Many of them were crucified. Many of them were stabbed and thrown off buildings. All but one, John, lived to be an old man. Um, I'm sorry, all of them were martyred except for one. John lived to be an old man. They were all put to death. They faced incredible trials. Why? Because their trials were born out of instruction. It was their trials that developed their strength and their faith and the understanding and the clarity of God's word that gave us the scriptures. And then there are trials that are born out of glorification, God's glorification. That would be a trial like Daniel. Seventy years of Daniel's life were just trial after trial after trial. Why? So that God could be honored and glorified. And in this case, this is a moment where God did show himself powerfully, spared his life, but not without a trial. For the purpose of God's glorification. So sometimes God does allow these things. Now, I want to mention just a little bit because we're wrapping up the series today. What happens in Daniel 7 through 12? We're not going to do a series on Daniel 7 through 12. The events or the visions that happen in those chapters actually happen during the lifetime of chapters 1 through 6. They happened over the course of Daniel's life. And as you can see on this chart, they actually cover a little bit of ground. Um, in chapters 1 through 6, it's all about convincing the Gentiles of God's power. While in 7 through 12, it's about convincing Israel of God's purpose. In 1 through 6, it was all about judgment. But in chapters 7 through 12, it's about hope. And in 1 through 6, it's Daniel interpreting the dreams of others. While in 7 through 12, it's angels interpreting Daniel's dreams. And while you have in 1 through 6, stories of God's protection, in 7 through 12, you have prophecies about God's future protection of his people. And it's important to understand that sometimes prophecy is hard to get. And we need to be careful how we read prophecy and how we understand things like the book of Revelation. Daniel's kind of like the Old Testament book of Revelation, very similar in its apocalyptic language. And many times it's often compared as some possibly parallel events. But I, I have something I need to tell you, a few thoughts about the visions or of any prophecy books, is that biblical prophecies, their purpose are to provide hope and confidence in God's control and ability, not to satisfy our curiosity or stir speculation. You see, there are a lot of people that they read the, 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 the Daniel book or Revelation or some of the or Ezekiel, and, and they read some of these prophecy books, and they're like, let's get in there. I'm a, I just, I just, they, their curiosity is, is piqued because it's things that they don't know or that nobody really knows, and so somehow they're going to know. They're going to figure it out. And some guy who wrote a book who's been, that's been re-edited like 20 times over the last 50 years, somehow he got it right each time that he was wrong. And you know what we find out? If you look back over the guys that tried to interpret all the prophecies, 
nobody's really got it right so far. Now, we can speculate, but the purpose of prophecy is not to speculate. In fact, speculation tends to produce two things, arrogance and foolishness. Because when we speculate what prophecy means, sometimes we become arrogant in that confidence of what we believe, and sometimes we become foolish in completely going in the wrong direction of what the prophecy was meant to say. And when we live with this obsession with prophecy, it tends to produce, in worst case, well, in weird cases, uh, strange belief systems, strange ideas, and in worst cases, strange cults. And you know what else it produces? Worry, anxiety, and stress. And you know what? Daniel never had worry, anxiety, or stress. If you obsess over prophecy, ease back a little bit. It's okay to find it interesting. It's the word of God. But don't be so confident in those understandings unless the Bible is clear on it. Back to the story. I want to focus on one verse. Daniel 5.20 it says this. That morning, the Darius woke up and he called out into the darkness. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel's response was, yes. Oh, yes, my friend. God is able. And I have a question for you today. Is your God able? Is your God able? Are there any limits to the God that we serve? Are there any limits to his abilities? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now unto him, Jesus, who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Some translations say, Now to him who is able to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Is your God able? Do you believe that he is able to, to pull you out of your incredible debt? Do you believe that God is able to restore that marriage of yours? Do you believe that God is able to rescue you and work in your life in this terrible tragedy or circumstance or sickness that you are going through right now? Do you believe that God is able to do what he said he would? Then why are you so worried? Why are you so worried? What lions are you facing? See, Daniel knew that the lions, and even those people, those people that were lions, were not the real enemy. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. See, we live in a lion's den culture, and it is hungry, but God is able. And we have a culture where it seems like everywhere we turn, seems like people are ready or culture is ready or my circumstances or the situation or my health. It seems like everything around me, I feel like I'm being attacked. The lions are surrounding me. But God is able. God is able. Your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not your family member. Your enemy is not that neighbor. It's not your doctor. Your enemy is a real enemy, but he's like a lion with no teeth. He'll gum you to death, but he can scare the living daylights out of you. Greater is he that is in us, Jesus Christ, than he, that enemy, that lion that is in the world. See, when you face your lions, Daniel understood a few things. And I want to share those with you. I want to wrap it up with this. Years of trusting God 
in this place of hostility and trial, Daniel knew this, that God was able to defend you. God is able to defend you in the face of your accusers. Daniel was again and again accused, attacked, condemned. Again and again, Daniel was brought before authorities with the hope that his life would be taken from him, sentenced to death again and again. And when the enemy attacks you and tries to destroy you and tries to accuse you, you see, you know the enemy who is the devil, who, you know what his greatest attack on you as an accuser is? He tries to tell you that you're not worthy of God's love, that you're not uh, someone who is, who is forgivable, that somehow you've gone too far, that you've done too much, that that's one time too many, that's, that's one glance too long, that's one action too many, that that place you went was the last time and that God has had enough of you. You've blown it too many times and the enemy will accuse you and attack you and bring you before the judge and say, he deserves death, but God is able to defend us. Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When the enemy says God doesn't want you and that God doesn't care for you, Jesus declares, you're mine. You belong to me through the blood of Jesus Christ and that I love you and I will defend you. The enemy is a liar. For God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. You know what else God's able to do? He's able to protect you. He's able to protect you in the middle of that attack. When you are in the lion's den, when you feel like everything is coming at you, he is able to protect you. I wish I could tell you that to follow Jesus would mean that nothing bad will happen to you, but I can't. In fact, we see that through the book of Daniel, God did not deliver Daniel from the lion's den. He delivered Daniel through the lion's den. And what God often does is he says, I'm going to allow you to be in this situation, but don't worry, I will, I will protect you. I've got you. In a time of trial and suffering, Paul wrote this to his, his young friend, uh, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says this, I suffer as I do. I want you to know this, first of all, that Paul was writing to his friend Timothy in prison. This guy was in chains. He had experienced persecution. He had been beaten to death nearly uh, multiple times. He'd been beaten with rods. He had been shipwrecked. He'd been stripped naked. He'd been left for dead multiple, multiple times. Paul was a man who suffered a lot. And he writes to his friend Timothy, he says, I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. See, Jesus holds us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're one of his kids, he holds you in his nail-scarred hands, and he will protect you. Note that God did not, again, deliver Daniel from the lion's den. He delivered him through the lion's den. So whatever you're going through, as a son and daughter of God, God will get you through. Here's the third thing I want you to know that God is able, that Daniel learned, that God is able to keep you in the middle of trials and temptation. See, some of us, we face the lion and we fail. Some of us, we're, we're, we, we meet temptation and we stumble. Some of us, we have given in to the temptation of the enemy. 
Some of us have struggled and we've, we have blown it. And, and some of you last night, you blew it. And, and you know, you're standing here and I'm like, man, I wish, I wish I could relate to this hope of God. I wish I could relate to Daniel, but I want to be honest with you, Ted, I'm not a Daniel. I'm not even close to a Daniel. And I wonder, does God still love me? Does he still care for me? Well, God is able to keep you. If you bow the knee to Jesus Christ, he is able to keep you and to hold on to you. Jude 1.24 says this, Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself, Jesus, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. The word tempted there is the word that means Tested. That means when you are tested in the face of trial, when you are looking face to face with a lion and your knees are knocking, you're not sure if you have enough faith to hold on, Jesus will keep you. He will hold on to you. Philippians 1.6, what God starts in you, he is able and will finish it. Abraham, a character in the Old Testament, if you've ever read his story, it's found in Genesis, he's considered the father of, of our faith. He's the one who's the father of, of the race that brought Jesus, the Jewish people. And you may not realize it, but this guy was, was just one mistake after another. He was always blowing it, always making mistakes. But look at what Paul said to the Roman church in Romans 4, verse 20 and 20. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Everybody say stronger. His faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And what God started in you, he promises he will keep you until the end. Here's the next thing that Daniel understood is that God is able to sustain you. And this is something where some of you need this today. In the middle of your chaos, in the middle of trials, in the middle of your pain, when you feel alone, when you feel isolated, when you feel weak, when you feel like you're barely holding on, God is our sustainer. He will give you the strength to carry on, to not give up, to not let go. And even if you do let go, he will hold you. He will keep you. He has the power and the ability to sustain you. I like Romans 16, 25 says, Now all glory to God who is able to make you strong. That word strong there is the word establish or to fix. I love that. To establish and to firmly set. Just as my good news says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you. God is able to make you strong or to fix you? Do you feel broken? Do you feel like you're just like a broken spirit right now? God is able to make you strong, to fix you, and to set you firm again. He is able to establish you, to set you firmly in a new place, and to give you strength. God is able to sustain you. We are not alone. Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Daniel knew this in his glimpse of Jesus in Daniel 7 through 12. He gave prophecies of the coming of Jesus Christ. He knew this Messiah was faithful and good and able to be relied upon. And as he, in the latter years of his life, years after his visions of Daniel 7 through 12, he knelt in that lion's den and he said, Messiah, I know you are faithful and you are the one. 
You will never leave me nor forsake me. And in the midst of that lion's den, God gave him strength. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, God is able to bless you abundantly. He's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's one to put on a post-it note and put on your dashboard. That's something to put on your mirror. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You know, read this story and you think, I, I don't, that's good that he's able, but is he willing? And I can imagine Daniel at 84 years old in that lion's in looking at his scrapbook. God, I know that you were there. And over the years, man, God, you really showed yourself faithful. What? Man, I've lived a good life, God. Man, I've lived a faithful life. And you know what? Maybe my time is going to end today. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to pray as I always do. I'm going to obey you as always. And even if I lie in this, den, in this lion's den, I'm going to live for you. But maybe in 84, he said, God, I know you're able, but are you still willing? Are you willing for this 84-year-old man to show yourself one more time? And some of you, you hear this, maybe God is able, but is he willing for you? Is he willing for you in your life, in your marriage, in your home? I'm reminded of these two blind men that came to Jesus and they pled to Jesus, help us, help us in our blindness. Matthew 9, 28, Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And then Jesus touched their lives because Jesus was not only able, but he was willing as well. Here's the last thing I want you to know, that God is able to save you. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, and you're just here with a friend, or you're a tag-along, or you're just checking it out, or maybe you have just enough church to get by, and just enough knowledge of Jesus to understand, but you know in the deepest part of your heart that you're not truly a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to know this. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, God is able once and forever to save those who come to God, or he, Jesus, rather, who is God, is able once and for all to save those who come to God through him, Jesus. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. You're not too far gone. He is able to save you. If you will come to the Father, Jesus is able to save you. Do you believe that God is able and willing to touch you today? How do you know that God is for us? Just look to Calvary. Just look to Calvary. Look to the cross. Look to the blood that was shed. He's willing. How do you know he's able? Look to the empty tomb. His power over death in the grave shows that he's able to touch you and to work in any circumstance of your life. So as we end Daniel, the big overarching theme of Daniel is this. Despite any incredible difficult situation, knowing that God is in control, you can thrive. Now, some of you might wonder, what happened to Daniel? What happens now? Well, nobody really knows exactly what happened to Daniel. We know that within just a couple of years of Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is dead. He did not make it home to Israel. He died in the land that he was abducted and dragged off to. And if you want to know where the story continues, you can read it in the books of Nehemiah, Ezra, and Esther. Just like Jeremiah prophesied, just like Daniel affirmed, 70 years to the year from the time they were abducted. 70 years have passed. And King Cyrus, in the first year of his reign, said, all right, those of you that are Jewish, you can go home if you want to. 
and they started going home. And that's found in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Uh, so I want to challenge you as we wrap up this series. Next week we're going to start a holiday series on, on God being with us and for us. Uh, Emmanuel, God is with us. It's going to be our, our theme uh, for the holidays. I want you to know this, that God is with you today. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you, Lord, that in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our circumstance that we're going through, you are able. Would you just take a moment just to talk to God about your lions? Ask God about what are your lions? Maybe it's a, a sickness. Maybe it's a, an employer. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a family member. Realize that the enemy is not those lions, but there is a real devil who's out to destroy you. Recognize the lions and know that God is able to shut their mouth. God is able to keep you, sustain you, protect you, to hold you. Would you just take a moment and talk to God about your lions? Jesus, here's my lions. Here's my situation. Will you just tell them right where you are? Say, God, here's my situation. Go ahead and tell them. Now by faith, will you speak that God is able to heal you, to strengthen you, to restore you, to protect you, to keep you. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, hope, or imagine. So don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Our God is able. There's power in that name of Jesus. If you're here right now and you've never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, maybe this is your day. Maybe this is your moment for you to say yes to Jesus. A God who loves you, you're not too far gone. We just take a moment and say, Jesus, here's my life. Forgive me of my sins. I give you my life. Wash me clean. Show me how to live for you, Jesus. Show me how to walk with you, God. Show me how to thrive. prayed that prayer and you'd like to talk some more about it, about that decision, you can get a hold of myself, Sean, or one of our band members, one of our staff members or elders, and we'd love to talk to you about uh, your situation. If you need prayer this morning, maybe you feel attacked, you're in the midst of a circumstance, then uh, maybe you need some prayer. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.